Take your Bibles and start out in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts. We have several texts this morning. And so we're going to look at the 8th chapter of Acts. And then we're going to turn over to the book of 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at a couple of verses right there. I said years ago when I came here in view of a call, I guess I said it. I've said it just about everywhere I've gone. Folks, I'm a church man. By that I mean I believe in the Lord's New Testament churches. Local, visible assemblies assembled together for the glory of God and to carry out the commandments that the Lord gave us, and especially in Matthew chapter 28. Anyway, we're going to finish up this series, and then we'll have a message next week, and then Brother Truman preaches, all right? From Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Now 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first five verses, we ought to be familiar with 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But the scripture says, know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. And then chapter 4, the first four verses, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And here it is, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. We've already seen from this series of messages that Satan attacks God's word. Satan attacks believers. Satan attacks the Christian home. And today we're going to look at Satan's attack upon true churches. See, I don't believe Satan attacks false churches because they're his already. There's no reason to attack them. You don't want to attack your own army, so he just leaves them alone. But churches that will preach the Word of God, teach the Word of God, and stand for the truth of God's Word are under attack today. And the attack began almost immediately after the establishment of that first church, the one that Jesus started during his earthly ministry. If you read the New Testament, what do you see? You see that Jesus and his disciples were almost constantly harassed by the spiritual elite of their day. Remember, the scribes and the Pharisees were the high muckety-mucks in the Jews' religion, and they were constantly looking for some way, some reason to accuse the Lord or his disciples. Ultimately, the shepherd was crucified and the sheep were scattered according to the Word of God. On the day of Pentecost, people went out witnessing and people were being saved. And you know what they accused the folks of that were witnessing? It's nine o'clock in the morning instead of they're drunk. They're already drunk, nine o'clock in the morning, and that's what's going on. This is not of God. 
We see in the third, fourth, and fifth chapters of the book of Acts that Peter and John and many of those that were with them were falsely accused, were persecuted, were jailed, were beaten, and they were told not to ever preach in the name of Jesus again. So the attacks just kept on and kept on and kept on. And so we get to the eighth chapter of the book of Acts that we read a few minutes ago, and Stephen has been stoned to death because he preached Jesus and because he witnessed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And then there was great persecution that came against the Lord's church. There was only one at the time. It was the church at Jerusalem. That church that Jesus had started had settled down in Jerusalem. And you know, I think the Lord allowed some of that persecution to come upon them because they just got real comfortable in Jerusalem. Amen. We get real comfortable when where we are, folks. God has the ability to blast us out of our comfort zone and to move us out. If you remember what we read they were all scattered. Who stayed in Jerusalem? The apostles did. But that church, the members of that church were scattered out into the world. What had Jesus told them in Matthew 28? What he had told them in Acts 1? You go into all the world. Oh, Jerusalem is great. We love coming in on Sunday morning and sitting around in our worship service. I'm going a completely different way for those of you who have a copy of this outline this morning. Right now, I'll get back to it eventually. But we get real comfortable in our Jerusalem and sitting around and coming and worshiping God together and we're with friends and fellowship and we love everybody. Folks, we've got to go out there. We have to go out into the world. And Saul made havoc, verse 3 of Acts 8 says, made havoc of the Lord's church, putting people into prison, going into houses and arresting people. Not only were they attacked in that manner, but the Lord's churches were attacked by false teachers. Satan brought people into the church, uh, to the churches to pervert the word of God and teach things that were not true. That's why Jude wrote. He said, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. But it was needful for me to write and exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith that was once and for all times delivered unto the saints. And so he said, this is because some ungodly men have entered in who turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And so men begin to teach perverse things in the Lord's churches. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul warned about those false teachers for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And he said, for no marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers be transformed into ministers of righteousness. Satan's pulling off, I think in our day especially, He's pulling off a great perversion of the truth and pulling off a, I don't know what to call it. He's just doing a work on churches today. During the dark ages, the Lord's people were put into prison. They were killed for their faith. They were killed for their faithfulness to Christ. They were killed for the stand for the truth. By the way, it causes me to think, in 2023, how many church members could we find who would put their lives on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ? And for the truth of God's word. How many would just stand and say, it doesn't matter what you're going to do to me. It doesn't matter if you put me in prison. Listen, we can't get folks to come to church on a Sunday, Sunday morning, much less a rainy one. Amen. I've said a lot of times, I'm just glad it wasn't raining the day that Jesus was supposed to go to the cross. I don't know whether it was or not. But I'm glad it wasn't. Years ago when we 
were getting ready to go to Israel, had an uncle that told me about a trip that he had taken, and there was this one man, all he wanted to see was Calvary. All he wanted to do was go to Calvary. Go to Calvary where Jesus had died on the cross. The day they were supposed to go to Calvary, it was raining. He stayed in his hotel room. I thought that's the way a lot of folks are today, you know. As long as it's comfortable. And Satan is still attacking. And he will continue to attack the Lord's churches today, folks. Satan is waging an all-out war against the truth, against true churches, and against the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? He knows he doesn't have much time left. Listen to Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now, we believe that Jesus is coming back, don't we? I thought I'd get an amen somehow, you know. <laughs> we know that Jesus is coming back. And I think we believe, most of us, if not all of us, believe it could be soon, right? Amen. Well, if that's the case, Satan doesn't have much time left, does he? And he knows it. And if, if he can destroy the institution, and I'm talking about New Testament churches, if he can destroy the institution that's given the task of going out and preaching the gospel message into the world, folks, he will do his best to do it. He's attacking true churches today. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, we read it. How did he do it? Well, one way he does it, we talked about false messages. Another way he does it is he causes God's people not to want to hear the truth. You know, I've told you before, those first couple of verses in 2 Timothy 4 speak to me. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to give an answer to the Lord Jesus himself about how I've handled his word in preaching to his people. I better get it right, folks. I better make sure it's right. But then guess what? The people who hear the message have a responsibility of receiving, and we're going to talk about that, I think, a little bit in this message, but of receiving it and doing with it what God wants done with it, okay? Amen. We're going to look at very quickly, try to do it quickly, you know me. We're going to try to do it quickly, look at six ways in which Satan attacks the Lord's churches today. And the very first one is that he causes doubt about our mission. Doubt about our mission. Now, I believe that the priority of every New Testament church is this, and my favorite verse of scripture, you know what it is, Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, amen. Because we as a church are to glorify God. That's our purpose. You say, I thought our purpose was to witness to people. Well, that's a part of glorifying God. See, churches that aren't witnessing aren't really glorifying God. You know, churches that exist, and I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but churches that exist just to exist, just for their own glory, just for their own history, aren't really glorifying God today. We glorify God by carrying out the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? Jesus said, all authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I paraphrase that so much, it, I get messed up on it. Teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, or the consummation of the age. So he said, church, go into the world. You know, we like to think, okay, we can sit here and we can preach and everybody bring lost people in. You know how hard it is to get a lost person to go to church today? 
Well, we've got a live stream. They can watch that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's about like coming to church, isn't it? We're to go into the world. In your going, literally, as you go day to day, Jesus is saying, be witnesses of me. Make disciples. Well, how do we do that? How do we carry out the Great Commission? The first thing is to preach the gospel, Mark 16, 15, to every creature. Just to share the message of salvation with every purpose. I listened, by the way, Brother Ray, I listened to that interview with Ray Comfort. That hour and a half interview, I enjoyed it because they said some of the same things I said. You know, this idea of... Uh, just invite Jesus into your heart that is preached today. You don't find that in the Bible. Amen. It's repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what Paul preached. That's what Peter preached. That's the message that we have is people need to repent. And a lot of churches are leaving repentance out of the gospel message today. Well, you just come down and say you've been saved and we'll dunk you in the water and we'll make you a member and we get a lot of lost people into the churches that way. We're to witness to as many lost people as will hear. We lead them to salvation in Christ and when they're saved, you know what we're supposed to do? Encourage upon them scriptural baptism. You can't force anybody to be baptized. But you can't make a disciple out of a lost person either, so you've got to lead them to Christ. Encourage them to be baptized or to be marked, if you will, for the Lord Jesus Christ and then... Our great responsibility as a church is to make disciples out of them. How do you do that? You teach them to observe. That word means to do, how to do, to do and how to do everything, everything that Christ has commanded us. So that's what we're supposed to do as one of the Lord's churches. And listen, each member of each true church is to share in carrying out this glorious mission. It's not just the pastor's job. It's not the deacon's job. It's not the Sunday school teacher's job. It's everybody's job. Some have the idea that after I'm saved, I can just sit down and wait on Jesus to return. No, the Lord said, occupy. Be busy with an occupation till I come. So we have a work to do and a responsibility. But listen, Satan will try to prevent us from carrying out that work. He'll use every tool he has to try to distract us from our mission. He presents attractive programs. Other things to do that will keep the church busy and keep the Lord's churches from going out into the world. Some believe that, and I have no problem with doing these things, but they're not our primary purpose. Some believe that feeding the hungry, mending broken bones, educating, oh, that's the work of the church. No. The work of this church is spiritual, folks. Amen. First and foremost, to bring people to know Jesus Christ as Savior. He'll seek to turn our focus inward. I mentioned this a moment ago. On ourselves so that we're not conscious of lost souls. Now God's given us a nice place to worship, hadn't he? Amen. Oh, but we need a bigger place. We're not even half full yet, okay? We need a bigger place. We need a nicer place. So we'll, we'll turn all of that focus inward on us and we'll worry about doing things for us. How much of what most churches do today is geared toward themselves? And not toward the lost. Many churches have spent thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on themselves. And all the time missionaries are going lacking. And lost souls are dying and going to hell. Satan does not want us interested in lost souls. So he causes doubt about our mission. But he also causes doubt about our message. We know what message we're to carry. We've already talked about it. It's the message of Jesus into all the world. 
It's a message about a Savior. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. I could stop right there. Amen. We don't preach politics. We don't preach sociology. We don't preach psychology. We don't preach how to feel good about yourself. We preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's our message. It's Jesus folks. Amen. It's a message about a Savior but it's also a message about sin isn't it? For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good no not one. People need to know that they are lost sinners. And I'm going to go out on this limb but I still think it's a good idea. Psalm 19 verse 7 but the law of the Lord is perfect listen to this converting the soul. You know one good way to show somebody that they're a sinner? Just take those Ten Commandments. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever stolen something? Have you ever told a lie that's bare false witness? Have you ever lusted and committed adultery in your heart? Have you ever done any of those things? And everybody at least has told at least, we call them fibs, don't we? At least one little fib. Well, the Word of God says that's a sin. There's no white lies and big black lies. It's all sin. Sin is sin is sin. And when we lie, it's sin. And all have sinned, the Scripture says, and come short of the glory of God. So you can show somebody they're a sinner and cause them their need to accept Christ. So it's a message about sin, but it's a message about salvation also. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We've got a Savior. We have a sin problem. He provides salvation. And it's a message about service for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. There's our message, folks. It's not that difficult to understand. It's not that hard to share. The truth is precious. And the truth needs to be shared with great conviction. You know, I was thinking about the great conviction part, and I hope I preach with conviction. I hope it's obvious that I'm convicted of the things that I say. I don't know if they still do it or not, but you know why they used to give car salesmen demos to drive? Because if you're selling Fords and you're driving a Chevrolet, I'm going to wonder about Fords. I mean, would you go to a bald barber? I don't know. But if, if you're not convinced that what you're sharing with people is the truth, if you're not convicted that it's the Word of God and it's what we need to hear and men need to hear, you're not going to present it with conviction. We need to, I, I just, sometimes I wonder how many Baptist folks really believe what we say we believe. We've got it up here, but do we have it in here? See, conviction. This is the Word of God. We're having a study in Sunday school right now, Brother Truman's on what we believe about the Word of God. It is the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. And you can believe it and you can trust it. But God's Word reminds us that men will not endure sound doctrine, doesn't it? 
they'll heap to themselves teachers because they have itching ears. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 said, Many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And that's what we're seeing today. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3 said, The day is coming when there'll be a great falling away. And that's not just people not coming to church. That's happening. But he's talking about, I believe with all of my heart, because we're seeing it, folks. We're seeing it today. Talking about once true churches turning their backs on the truth. Amen. Why? For a few more folks. For a little bit more in the offering plate. For a little bit of popularity with the world and turn their backs on the truth. And today churches are emphasizing, and I have, by the way, I have to preface this by saying this because we had a fellowship yesterday and I'm not against fellowships and I'm not against food you can tell that and I'm not against having fun but that's what churches are emphasizing today fun food fellowship above the preaching of the word of God you can always get more out for an eating meeting than you can for a worshiping meeting Amen. you just say you're going to have food folks will come out of the woodworks you can't get them to come listen to the Word of God, folks. That's the day we're living in. Instruction and worship seem to be secondary, and many of God's people have sort of taken a take-it-or-leave-it attitude toward the true worship of God. That's sad. Some say any church will do. No. Not any church. Well, at least they're going to church. If they're going to church and hearing error, that's not okay. Amen. Do you want your children, let's assume you still have children that are young and unsaved, do you want them going to the church where they're going to be taught error about how to be saved and die and go to hell because it's okay they were in church? No. They need to go to a church where they'll hear the word of God preached and hear what needs to be taught to them. Others say, I love the Lord. And the church ain't take it or leave it. Wrong. What is a New Testament church? It's the body of Christ, isn't it? You can't love the head and not love the body. And Jesus is the head of each and every New Testament church. And so if you truly love Jesus... All right, if you truly love Jesus, you're going to love his church also. That's scripture, folks. And Satan desires to get the preacher, the teacher, the church so tied up in things that they're not prepared to present the word of God when it comes time to present the word of God. I don't know about you, but now this is not an accurate count, of course, but a million things during the week occupy my mind and sometimes try to occupy my time. It takes time to prepare a message from the Word of God. We get worried about sometimes respecting persons. We get worried about pleasing this one and that one. No. What does the Scripture say? Preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. If they want to hear it, if they don't want to hear it, preach the Word of God. Some folks worry about being relevant. You know the most relevant thing that we can do today is preach the Word. That is the absolute most relevant thing we can do. It's the truth. It sets men free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the only way to get the truth is to get the Word of God. Satan causes doubt about our mission. He causes doubt about our message. He causes doubt about the church's morals. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, 
righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You know what that's saying? We ought to have a moral lifestyle. We ought to live according to the Word of God. Ephesians 4, 25 through 29 tells us we shouldn't steal, lie, or use corrupt language. I've seen some folks that profess to know Jesus Christ and their language was corrupt. They'd lie to you in an instant. We're to honor marriage as a sacred institution. Hebrews 13 verse 4. We're to resist temptation and to rely upon God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. We're to live like new creations in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Because we are new creations in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what Satan will do. He'll try to get God's people to live worldly lives, won't he? Amen. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. The scripture says, he that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Satan will try to get us to do that. He wants us to discredit our message. He wants to discredit our way of life. He wants to hear people say, the reason I don't go to church is because there's too many hypocrites in the church. And the reason people say there's too many hypocrites in the church is because there's too many hypocrites in the church. Amen. People who profess Christ, who live like the world Monday through Saturday and then on Sunday kind of one in, oh brother, oh sister, so good to see you. I love the Lord, don't you love the Lord? And they go out and live like the world the rest of the week. And say, preacher? <laughs> well, never mind. Satan wants to destroy our desire for spiritual things, folks. Think for a moment back when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. You remember that? And then had her husband Uriah killed, guilty of adultery and premeditated murder. Listen to what Nathan, you know, preachers just get in the way all the time, don't they? Listen to what Nathan the prophet said to David. God speaking through Nathan. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? See, when we sin against God, you know what we're doing? We're despising his word. When we do something we know the word of God says don't do, we're despising the word of God. He went on to say, Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. You despise the word of God. Second Samuel chapter 12 verse 14 Listen to what he said. By this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You know what happens when a child of God lives a worldly life? He gives an opportunity to all those folks who are lost out there and say, see, I knew there wasn't anything to it anyway. It doesn't matter. I'm just as good as he is. Somebody used this illustration one time. Man standing before, the, I don't know if lost people will be able to talk before the great white throne judgment of God, but this preacher used that illustration. Standing before the great white throne, hearing his condemnation depart from me, I never knew you. And he said, well, what's the difference between me and him? Talking about somebody who's going to heaven. He said, only difference was on Sunday he went to a place with a steeple on top and I didn't. And that's all the world sees sometimes. Unless we show them differently. Satan will try to get the Lord's churches, and they've done it, to lower the standards of quality, folks. You ought to read some of the old church records that I've read. They used to discipline folks for going to picture shows. <laughs> now we just get on HBO or whatever and bring them right into our homes. That way nobody finds out, right? Oh, they'll find out. 
There used to be a lot of things that they disciplined folks for. We don't even hear about it anymore. By not disciplining themselves and keeping themselves morally pure, folks, Satan is attacking the Lord's churches and her morals. By not teaching. How many churches teach sanctification? We're doing it Sunday nights. But how many other churches teach sanctification? Set apart to God. That's where we're to be because we're saved. Set apart to God. He causes disobedience and doubt about our morals, but he also causes division among the church's membership. Something else Satan does. God has given us a mission. He's given us a message to carry to the lost world. And therefore, as a church, and I'm thankful this church does. I believe we do, folks. I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Therefore, we need to stand united for Christ. Why, oh why do you think I request so many times, please pray that God will prevent Satan from causing disruptions and problems in this church? Because I know he wants to do it. I've seen him do it. I've watched Satan work at times. And you just stand back and you say, Lord, do something. I can't do anything. Lord, you need to take care of this problem, this situation. And so we need to be united. How can we be united? Listen to Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Just love each other in the Lord. And don't walk around with our feelings on our sleeve and get offended just because something didn't go our way. And people do that. Church decides to do something. They don't like it. Fine, I'll go somewhere else, you know. That's the attitude. Jesus said, John 13, 34 and 35, he said that we're to have love for one another. We're to love one another as he has loved us. Well, how much did Jesus love us this much? Amen. He died on the cross for us. Do you have the self-sacrificing love for Christ, for your brother and sister in Christ? He said, we're to love each other like he's loved us. He said, that way all men will know that you're my disciples. Our doctrine, yes, sets us apart. We have a doctrine that's different from most of the religious world, well, from the religious world, folks. But that's not what identifies us as being Christ and having Christ in us. It's our love, our self-sacrificing love for one another. Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 12 that a house divided against itself can't stand. And oh, how many churches have gotten divisions. I've told you about the green hymnal and the brown hymnal people. Church had green hymnals and brown hymnals. And when they sang out of the green ones, the brown hymnal folks wouldn't sing. And when they sang out of the brown ones, the green hymnal folks wouldn't sing. Oh, we can't do that. That's just Satan at work. That's all in the world. That is dividing one of the Lord's churches. Satan is a divider. He always causes division. He uses strife. He uses envy, bitterness, speaking, clamor, anger, malice, anything he can to divide the Lord's churches. And he'll divide over personal practices too. Well, we've never done it that way before. That is the most famous Baptist phrase, I think. We've never done it that way before or that's not the way we've always done it, right? Or that's not how I like it. I'm left speechless when people have that attitude. My goodness. I love Brother Rick. He threw me a curve this morning. I'm already singing that last song and he sang a special. Great. I love it. But I'm just sort of like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> 
I have no problem with being spontaneous if the Lord's leading it, folks. And I believe the Lord led that this morning. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my brother. But Satan seeks to get church members fussing and fighting with one another. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told the Galatian churches in Galatians 5 verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. But listen to this. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. Bite and devour each other. I've watched churches fight and bite and devour one another and destroy churches. Again, thankfully, we don't have that here. And you keep praying that God will keep that out of here. Amen. And you keep praying that God will keep Satan from starting that here. Because we don't need that as a church. Satan works when there's open or hidden conflict in a church. It's going to result as a hindrance to the church. Amen. You know, if there's something going on, it can't be hidden. I will not complain. Listen, I will not, because I've seen it happen here. I will not complain if we dismiss services and people just stand around talking with one another after services. That's fantastic. You know what that says? We love each other. We like fellowshipping with each other. We like being here, being together. And so, now I'm not asking you to stay an hour or two after services. I would like to go get some lunch eventually. <laughs> but the fact that we just do that says something about this church. The world criticizes and Satan laughs when the Lord's churches are fighting among themselves, folks. That's what he wants. Satan causes defiance about the church's majesty. Again, under him, under God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. We don't worship the church, but we worship God in and through this church, folks. We serve him in and through this church. We're not to have a take it or leave it attitude. We're to come in here and we do with a sweet, sweet spirit. And we're never to get too busy to come and worship together. You know, if you're too busy to come to church, you're too busy. You need to let some things go, all right? Satan will try to get us to exalt man. He'll work on our egos. He'll want to promote our agenda. I've seen churches where each member or, or groups in the church had agendas that they wanted the church. No, it's God's agenda. It's Christ's agenda in the church. He'll cause people to, to grumble and gripe and be a professional critic of their brothers and sisters in Christ or be a critic of the pastor or the deacons or whoever. Satan will cause stress and discouragement and depression and frustration and problems so great that we will be distracted from doing the work of glorifying God. And you know, oftentimes, who his first target is? You're looking at him. If Satan could get in this pulpit, he'd pretty well have the church. Unless we have some people who would say, that ain't right. And take care of it. And then Satan seeks to derail our momentum. What do you mean our momentum? What is momentum? It's that force that sends us forward, drives us forward. Well, how would Satan derail our momentum? Revelation 3, verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. We recognize those verses. It's talking about the church at Laodicea. 
They were rich and increased with goods. They looked at themselves and looked at what they had and said, man, we've, we're, we've arrived. We've made it. Now we can just sit here and, and put out on our sign, we're open for business and people will just flock in and we can have a good old good time and all of that. What did the Lord say? You poor and miserable and naked and blind. You can't see your real condition. See, what Satan will do is he'll get us satisfied with where we are. You've got a pastor that's never satisfied. I could always have preached that message a little better. I could always have taught that lesson a little better. I could always have done a little bit better job. But we could always have a few more folks here. We could always have a few more folks that are willing to come to the choir, willing to take a class, or willing to do some act of service in and through the church to, to go out and to witness, or whatever it may be. So I'm never satisfied. And I don't think we ever need to get satisfied. Satan will, here's the way he works on our momentum. He'll cause people to absent themselves from the worship service. Just not come. You know what happens when that takes place? Number one, I have to admit, it causes discouragement for the pastor. Now, I've told you, I've preached to as few as four people before. No, I didn't run all the rest of them off. The church was already in that condition when I went there. <laughs> but I've preached to as few as four people before. But when you look out and you see more wood than you see faces, it's a little bit discouraging. He'll keep the members who are coming from learning and maturing as believers. That's one way he'll affect our momentum. He will cause frustration and discouragement to the people who want to see the church grow. Have you ever wanted to see a church grow and there were just those that were keeping it from growing? I've told you about, and this happened in an association where I pastored one of our sister churches. It was growing. People were coming. Visitors were attending. And one Sunday morning, the Sunday school superintendent got up to give the Sunday school report, and he said, looked out across the congregation, he said, we just got too many outsiders here. Killed that growth in an instant. Amen. You know what that was? That was Satan at work. And he will cause the church to appear weak and unimportant to those who are not church members. So what are you talking about? We're on a busy, busy road. I've had people comment to me, people of one, from one of our sister churches who know, well, I came from there to here. Uh, you know, I wasn't pastoring. I was a member of that church and came here when this church called me. And, and so they know I'm here and they see me and they, say, they talk about how the church has grown because they notice the cars in the parking lot, see? And they know that something's happening here. Well, listen, when there's only a handful of cars in the parking lot, people think something's happening too. And that's not good. Okay? And so some will drive by and say, well, they, they you know, like so many churches, they're just weak and don't have many folks today. Hebrews 10.25 reminds us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but we're to exhort one another. And it says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ's return. The closer we get to the coming of Christ, the more regular we should be in attendance and assembling together and worshiping together. 
You cannot get momentum to move forward when you're a roller coaster. Years ago, I was in a bulletin article, and I've not shared this one here, but years ago in a bulletin article, I suggested names for churches. And one of them was Laodicea Baptist Church. That's a church for our time, right? Then there was Roller Coaster Baptist Church. We have our ups and downs. And that's the way so many churches are. Attendance here this week, here this week, you know. They're just on a roller coaster. You can't get momentum to move forward when you're just going up and down. And so Satan will work on us that way. Folks, we have an enemy. We know we have an enemy. We have an enemy who is active and we have an enemy who seeks to destroy God's word. He seeks to destroy our homes and he seeks to destroy this church. Amen. He wants nothing greater than to destroy this church. And we would do well to remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. We'll get this Wednesday night, by the way. Be sober, be vigilant. You know what vigilant means? Be on guard. Be on the lookout. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to eat us up. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. Satan's walking. I feel sure he has his demons present here today. He's heard every word I've said. They have. And I told you when I started this series, I will pay for this. Not from you, but from the enemy. And immediately something happened. Y'all know what it was, and I'm not going to go into it. Some do anyway. But immediately something happened. Satan wants to destroy us, and if any preacher will get up in the pulpit and speak out against him and tell his tactics, he doesn't like it. But today, while the Lord's churches and God's people sit idle, Satan's active in the world. He's stalking. He's going about seeking his next victims. Lost people, partly because of what Satan does, do not see the need for repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They just don't get it. And again, part of it is they will look at some folks who profess Christ as Savior, who go to church, maybe every time the church doors are open, but live like the world. And they'll say, why do I need that? Look at them. We don't need to be that way. And then God's people. I love to talk to and about God's people. Folks, great. You're saved. You're going to heaven. That's wonderful. That is fantastic. But that's not the purpose of salvation is to keep us from going to hell. The purpose of salvation is that we may have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that has such a powerful effect on us that we will live for him Amen. on a daily basis. One man put it this way, it's not to get the sinner from earth to heaven, it's to get heaven into man on earth. That's the purpose of salvation. If you're saved and the Holy Spirit resides in you, you have the ability to live for Christ. I hate to wrap this series up. I, hate, I could talk more about how Satan attacks the Lord's churches and things I've seen, but we don't have time, folks. Be on the lookout and be praying that God will keep Satan from attacking Bethel Baptist Church.